chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 5 this morning. It has just been a thrill to, to go through the book of Philippians with you verse by verse and the encouragement and understanding and strength that I, I found in that book was just nothing short of miraculous, honestly. You know, there's different books at different times as we've gone through them that have just impacted, and, and the book of Philippians was one of those for me. And I hope and pray that this book of Titus is going to make a difference, that it will give you some encouragement, some strength of, for the soul, some upholding for faint-heartedness. It'll give you some direction. It'll give you focus. I'm going to ask you to commit to some things today and to consider some things today. And one of them is put time in the book of Titus. Praise the Lord. It's 46 verses. And just spend your time going over the verses, over the phrases, and think about it. Think. Weigh it out. Ponder it. Chew it over. Write it down. Memorize it. Whatever you want to do with it. But but take it with you wherever you go, day after day after day. All right? Phenomenal. I think we're in for a pretty exciting study here. So I thank you for being here this morning. Titus, chapter 1, looking at the first five verses. The Word of God says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness. In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this reason... I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Let's pray. Father, as we thank you so much for the inspired word that you have left us a a record of truth for us to follow. We don't have to wander aimlessly. We don't have to wonder what's going on or where we're going or where we're headed. We have truth. Not only that, but Father, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us who will enlighten our eyes and our minds, open our hearts to understanding the truth, and then giving us even the power to obey it. Father, you have given us the the desire and the will to do all those things that please you. So we're thankful for the opportunity to embark on a new study, a study of this wonderful book that you've given us. I pray that we would take it to heart that we would not only listen to it, but follow and obey. You are on the verge of doing some incredible things in our community, and I pray that you would raise us up to accomplish those. We love you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for this church. We ask your blessing upon us as we hear and obey. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So let me ask you a question. Do you want your life to improve? Do you want, do you want your life to get better? Yeah. Some of us are, are doing fine in our lives, and 
But still, even if everything is going fine and no issues are on the horizon, do you want your life to get better? And I think all of us, without a doubt, would say, absolutely. I mean, we, I'm not content just me as a person with my own walk and the things that I'm doing. And my, although we have, I think, a great marriage and we have a lot of fun and passion and unity in our marriage, it can, it can improve. It, it can get better. It, it, everything can get better. Um, can our church improve? Are there things that we as a church can do to, to get better and, and maybe move on and, and do even greater things for the Lord than what we're doing right now? I, I, and I think absolutely yes, because all of us are flawed, right? We're all flawed people, and our marriages are flawed because you're flawed, and our relationships are flawed because you and I are flawed, and our church is flawed, there's always room for improvement. And isn't that a big theme in, in uh, TV shows? Like you've got home improvement, you've got greatest loser, you've got what not to wear. You, I mean, you've got one program after another about let's get life to be better. We want to look better, act better. We want to think better. We want to live in a better house. We want to do this, that. What we're looking at here is Paul leaving Titus in Crete where there's a bunch of house churches. Like, like ours would be one of the house churches in Crete. And, and the, the churches in Crete, it's not like they had major issues. They didn't have massive problems that we can see. I mean, they had enemies and trouble, but they weren't like the Corinthians. They, were, they weren't like the Corinthians that had the envy and the backbiting and the fighting and the, I want my, my own way, I want to do this. They, we don't even know of a Philippians issue like Yodia and Syntyche where some selfishness had abounded and joy was being depleted and the unity was breaking apart and the steadfastness was gone. We don't see that, but you know what we see? We see churches that were established by the grace and the glory of God that were doing their things and maybe had just plateaued and now Titus is on this island about 150 miles long and, and about, what, 30 or 40 miles wide and, and, and he, he must have been going, well, Paul, I mean, there's no major issues. We're all doing our thing and meeting and doing this and and, and Paul writes this letter, and basically he says, Titus, go and speak to these churches, and, and here's what I want you to do. Let them know that they need to improve. So he says in verse 5, kind of as the theme of the entire book, verse 5, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. The idea of set in order is to to straighten out, you know, it's, it's kind of, the root word is ortho, epi-ortho, like an orthodontist, you know, straightens our teeth because they just need some improving, which is why two years ago I got braces, and as a 48-year-old, I'm wearing braces, everybody's like, well, what's wrong with you, Mr. Weida? Why, why didn't you get braces when you were a kid? And I'm like, well, I don't know, but there's still time to improve my smile, right? And I even told my wife, if I should die you know, make sure that my mouth is open because I want people to see the teeth. I, I put money in it and I, I, want, I want to enjoy it. So it's the idea, Paul says to Titus, you know, it's not that the churches are bad. It's just they can be improved. They can be straightened out. They can do even better than they're doing right now. And he says, set in order the things that are lacking, the things that are are, are not finished. And, and when can any of us say that we're finished with anything? Even my teeth, they're not finished. I got all sorts of things I can, you know, they want me to do, think about and do and, and retainers. And I mean, listen, we are never finished. We did this three-year remodeling project on our church building, didn't we? Every Monday night for about three years. Like literally, 
we're not done yet, everybody. We're st- I still walk around and I'm like, oh, we got a hole in the wall here now and a scratch here and there's a light bulb out right there. And it's like, we're just never finished. W- when do we actually finish? Heaven. And, and since we're not there yet, we're not done. So pa- Paul's telling Titus, Titus, get in there to those churches and rally them up and let God address the church so that the ministries are improved and the things which are not done, which have not been finished, get better and better and better and better. Pretty neat, isn't it? That's, I think that's just the main theme of the book. Now, there's good news in a book like this. So you know the spiritual principle, that which you sow, you will also reap, right? So what the, the challenge for this book is, is everybody in the church family has a part to play in improving the church. Because you could actually come and you could sit in this group of people, and when the rest of the group shows up, we, we could all be together, and you could have the mentality of, hey, things aren't going like I want, that, like I think they should go around here. You know, the music, I mean, we could do better. The teaching, it could do better. The nursery, it could do, I mean, we, we all could look around and pick out points of things that just we could do better. And if you are not committed wholeheartedly to jumping in to this assembly to improve the church as a whole, there's two options. You could lament when things go bad, and you could say, well, I know why things are going downhill so bad over here. It's because so-and-so is doing this, and so-and-so is doing that, and well, I can't believe they're doing that. They're, you know, we could lament and mourn because, man, we're just headed on a crash course for disaster, and there it's all your fault. Or if things are going great, like the parade and the concert last month, and we had lots of visitors, and we could clap and say, hey, we're doing things good here. You guys keep it up. You're doing good. The problem is you, you don't have any ownership. You don't have any skin in the game, right? You're just observing. You're critiquing when things are going bad, and you're happy and rejoicing when things are going great, but nothing is really dependent on you. But when we sow certain things, we're going to be guaranteed to, to reap those things. So what, what I would love to see as a, as a shepherd of the church is I would love to see everybody jump wholeheartedly into areas of ministry for the whole sake of just improving the beauty and the health of the church so that when we take the gospel to the people in Hermantown and Proctor and Duluth, Jesus Christ shines with the greatest glory. And it's not just based on one or two. It's, it's based on, on everybody. So in this book, here's what, here's what God does. God says, okay, leaders, let's talk about leaders first, because leaders are pretty important in a church. And he says, all right, leaders, here's what I expect you to be like to improve your leadership for the glory of God. And then he doesn't just leave the leadership alone by having you all say, okay, we better find all these and Pastor Brian. And if, he's, if, he, if we don't find every single one, then out he goes or whatever. But it's the idea of leadership. Why do we have standards for leadership? Because leadership is a pattern for who to follow. You all to follow. So as we go through the leadership issues, yeah, those, those better be found in me. And, and not that I'm going to be perfect in any of those, but they better, be, they better be found and progressing in areas. But the idea of the text is, well, that's what you all have to act and be like as well. All right? And then he's going to deal with some troublemakers in the church, some 
issues that have risen up in the church. Then he's going to turn his attention to older men. He'll say, all right, you guys that are 50 years and older, you have adult children that have, are out of the house, you're, you, uh, you're, you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, you want to improve your church? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This is, you've got to, this is where you've got to be. Then he's going to address the, the uh, more mature women. And, and he's going to say, you know, you, you more mature ladies, here, here's what God is asking you to do. Then he's going to go to the younger ladies. Younger ladies, you want to improve the church? Then, then sow these seeds, and this is what you're going to reap. And then he talks to the young men and says, listen, young men, here's where you've got to be. Then he's going to talk to slaves uh, regarding their masters. And then he addresses Titus and says, all right, Titus, here's what I want you to do to bring about glory to God. And then he's going to give us a little motivational talk about why should we do that, which is kind of what you're going to get in the morning text. And then he goes and he says, all right, now that we've covered those bases, what is this church, what's its reputation and testimony to the outside community, to the out, those who are outside the faith? We, we've got to improve that regarding how we, you know, the outside of this, of this building. And he's going to spend the rest of chapter three talking about that. Pretty neat, isn't it? You know what I love about this, everybody? I love the fact that when God wants us to be coached and to give us a manual for improving our church, he doesn't give us 700 pages where we have to search through and say, oh boy, I got to find it's on page 502, I think, but I got to read the other pages first. No, he gives us 46 verses and he drops it all in our lap and says, all right, go with this. Take it. Let the Holy Spirit move you. Be committed to this. And you'll be amazed at how the Lord will command his blessing upon us. Psalm 133 says, if we dwell, the brethren dwell in unity, um, God will command his blessing and pour it out upon us. Would you not love to see that? That literally, God would bless this church to the point where men and women, boys and girls, all over this little region of ours would come to faith in Christ. So what am, I, what am I asking you in the next eight to ten weeks? I'm asking you to commit to studying the Word. But I don't want you just to read the Word like it's, like it's some old letter. I want you to find yourself in it. You're not, unless your name is Titus or Paul, you're not going to find your name in it. But you will find yourself in it all over the place. And then ask yourself, Lord, what can I do to change? my heart, my attitude, the way I've been doing things, my perspective, so that this ministry will improve and this community will be impacted for the gospel. All right? It's not an easy task by any means. But it's kind of like coach, players, the team, the goal is out there. All right? I love it. I'm excited. Because we all can play a part in making this great. Not to use the Trump thing, but we can all use a part to making this church great for the glory of God. All right. So, Paul says he's a bondservant of God, verse 1. He's a slave of God. He's been called of God. His whole will is bound up in whatever God says, whatever God's will is. That's what Paul's going to do. He has no will of his own. He's an apostle. He's been sent out by Jesus Christ. And here's why. I'm going to give you two reasons why why should we disrupt the status quo of the church? Why should we seek and strive to improve our ministry, 
all the various areas of our ministry. Like, I wrote down like 12 areas of ministry that we could just improve on like right away, and it would make a huge impact. Seriously, I've, I've got tons of ideas, lots of ideas. Why should we even go to those lists and pray about it? I mean, social media, just it's phenomenal. I've got that Instagram group going from, from school, and every night I'm giving a verse for the day and explaining a verse for the day for, for unsaved high school kids or kids that just, they, they don't know anything about Jesus Christ, but now they're getting to know him, and they're asking questions like, you would not believe. And it's like one question after another, and it's like, we could do way better in that whole area. We all could do, be doing that a verse for the day with our neighbors and our friends, and, and we could be explaining truth, and, and oh, there's so much we could do, really, to promote the gospel through this church, through this community of believers. Do you agree? There, there is so much that we could spend, well, actually, I'll, I'll try to spend whatever life I have to accomplish that. But why? Why? Why why even do it? Here's why. I'm going to give you two reasons. Reason number one, because it is God's plan. All right? Reason number one, it is God's plan. Look at verse one with me. Paul, bondservant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. See, God has a plan, and it begins with the faith of God's elect. Faith comes by hearing. Faith is hearing and believing the gospel message. So this is where God's plan begins. It begins with us taking the gospel message out to the world, and those who hear the gospel and believe, they are part of the elect. We have to just go and deliver the the good news so that people can hear the news and believe it. What does Romans chapter 10 say? Listen to this. In, In Romans chapter 10, Paul says this. For the scripture says in verse 11, whoever believes on Jesus will not be put to shame. Anybody, listen, you take the gospel out there to the community, anybody who believes in it, they'll not be ashamed. They'll not be like, they won't be like, well, I get, I'm sorry I did that. Boy, I, just, I regret doing that. I wish I would have joined the bowling league instead. Or, you know, I wish I would have been part of the Elks Club instead. No, whoever believes in Jesus Christ, he is good for what he says. Their sins are forgiven and they will live with him for eternity. They will never be put to shame. Then Paul says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call on him. Rich. The riches of Christ given to all of the lost, anyone who will trust him. Because the next verse says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the key. That is where God's plan begins. It begins with men and women, boys and girls, calling upon the Lord to be saved and have all the riches in Christ. But the next text How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How can we ask anybody in Hermantown to call on the name of Jesus if they have never trusted him or believed in him? Then Paul says, how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? How can we expect anybody in our community to have the riches of Christ and to trust Jesus if they have never heard about what he has done? Maybe they've heard about Jesus, but they don't know the gospel. Faith alone, apart from works, apart from religion, it is only by faith, right? And then how, how shall they hear unless who is sent? A preacher. Why improve our ministry? We, improve, we want to improve our ministry so that more and more men and women hear and believe the gospel because it's part of God's plan. That is how he saves people. He saves people by us preaching and proclaiming the cross, Is that a good reason to improve our ministry? You bet. 
It's a great reason why everything should be brought up another notch. It's a great reason that people need to hear and believe. And so Paul says, hey, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an apostle sent by God as a slave for the hearing and believing of the gospel by God's people. And the elect are those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. Next, he goes on, part of God's plan. It doesn't just end with hearing and believing, but then it says, and acknowledgement of the truth, because that's the next part of God's plan. It isn't that they just believe in Jesus, but now they grow in their understanding of God's truth. Do you know more about Jesus now than when you were first saved? Absolutely, right? That is why you're here. That's why improve this ministry? Because once somebody trusts in Jesus, they need a place where they can grow in their understanding of God and who he is. Listen, when I first got saved, I had some religion in my head, but when I heard that Jesus died for my sins, was buried, and rose from the dead, that's all I knew. And when I went around telling people, I didn't know all about, I was an evolutionist. I thought we came from monkeys. I mean, seriously, I, I thought I thought we came from monkeys and there was some big bang and explosion and this was all a big accident. And I would tell people, I would even tell Christians, we're just one molecule in some scientist beaker who is actually a molecule in some other scientist beaker and it's just a big random nothingness. I mean, that's... So when I heard... All I knew was Jesus died for me and rose again. And then all of a sudden I'm reading my Bible and I'm saying, wait a minute, God created me for a purpose. Then it all began to fall in place. So why... Why, were, why do we want to improve the ministry? Why do we want to spend time in Titus to find out, God, what do you want of me? Because we want people to grow in their understanding of who God is. The, we live on a young earth. Oh, I love this one. I'm telling my, my math students at the school, universe, it's two words, uni and verse. Uni means one, verse, a single spoken sentence. Everything came out of one spoken sentence when God said, let there be light. He created everything out of nothing. And then I tell them, the earth we live on is about six to eight to 10,000 years at the most. That's how old our earth is. You should hear them flip out. What? No, billions of years ago, dinosaurs roamed on the, I mean, they've, and I'm like, no, that is not truth. Let me tell you what truth is. And I take, listen, I think if you've been sitting in this church for any length of time, you know more about truth than most people in the entire world. You really do. Don't you want that, the riches of God's word, the acknowledgement of truth, that there is truth, there is absolute truth that we can stand on? Don't, don't you want that for our community? That, that's why we improve. That's why you're here. That's why we're going to take time in Titus and say, what does God want of 50-plus-year-old men? I know what he doesn't want, but what does he want? And then when he tells us, it's like, oh, I get it. I get it. It's, it's going to change a lot of things. And a lot of people don't like change, but it's going to be, it's a great thing. So what's God's plan? God's plan is we get the gospel out there so people can hear it and believe it. I think Christianity today, the readership of Christianity today, when they did a survey, only 1% have witnessed to another person about their faith. One out of 100. Pretty sad when this is the message of eternal life, right? So we go out, we proclaim, God saves them, and then 
we have ministries set up so people can learn the truth. Bible studies, Master Club on Wednesday, Adult Bible Fellowship, Sunday schools, all sorts of things so people can grab onto the truth. How can we improve all of those areas? But it doesn't just end with learning more of the truth. It's not just that we know about Jesus. It's by grace through faith alone. And it's not just that we learn more Bible verses. But the next part, you want to know the rest of God's plan? It's for the faith of God's elect, for the acknowledgement of the truth, according to what? What does the Bible say? According to godliness. Because it's got to affect how you live. It's got to affect the decisions that you make day by day. Part of God's plan is as we hear the gospel, we get saved, we come and we learn the truth, our lives are being transformed degree by degree. Right? Little by little, our, our decisions are changing. We're beginning to make decisions not based on what's best for Brian, what satisfies him, what pleases him, what delights him, but now it's what delights my Savior, what matters to him, what makes him great, what, sh- what shines him brightly before others. And then all of a sudden, my behavior is changing. The Holy Spirit's convicting me. The Word is reminding me. My, my reverence of Christ is, becomes so important that I begin to say, I'm not going to do that because I don't want others to stumble, and, and I don't want others to look at, at our church and think that that's what Christianity is all about. I mean, it's, it's going to change everything. Do you know how many people at school when I'm teaching are watching me? And I go and I, go and I, I, I pump gas, and within a day or two, somebody will say, well, Brian, Pastor Brian, I, I saw you pumping gas. I'm like, yes, I am a human. I do have to have gas in my vehicle. It doesn't just run on its own. Yes, I have a normal life. But people are watching And we want to improve our ministry, so what they're seeing is godliness. Our reverence and our love for Jesus Christ brought into every decision that we make. Is that a good enough reason for you to jump in wholeheartedly and say, yeah, we want to make this the best ministry that, under the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can? So the most people are impacted. More people are brought here for the thanksgiving and praise of God. More people are learning the truth, growing in godliness, so more people can be saved. More people can be discipled in the truth. More people's lives can be transformed. That's that's what we want. That's a great reason God has a plan. But there's a second thing. There's a second reason why Paul says, this is going to motivate you to improve the ministry. It's not only that God has a plan. Listen, you guys, God has a promise. Look at the very next verse. In Titus chapter 1, we're looking at verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. You want to know why we should really seek to just be growing in our ministry? It is because God has made a promise, and the promise is eternal life. We have a hope of eternal life. And eternal life is not just a length of life. Because everybody in this room has a length of life. You'll either spend it in heaven, in glory, in a real physical dwelling place called heaven, with a real Savior, or you'll be suffering in a lake of fire in torment for all eternity. We all have eternal life. So it's not just a matter of how much time we have. It is the quality of our life. Life with Christ 
can't be surpassed. Psalm 16, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you know the blessing of being in heaven for all eternity? No sin. There's work. There's service. There's rest. There's recreation. There's feasting. Heaven is, a, is, is an absolutely glorious place. And we are promised heaven as a sure hope. Not like, well, we're having a bonfire tonight. I hope it doesn't rain. I mean, it's not very hopeful around here to say that. Paul says, you want to know why we're going to seek to approve all the, the, ministry, the, the ministries on Crete or in Hermantown? Because God has made a promise. It is a sure thing, and it's called eternal life. And God, he cannot lie. Now, it's kind of interesting. Do you know who is said to have been born on the island of Crete? Zeus. Zeus was purportedly, that was his mythical birthplace. And they said when Zeus, the Greek god, died, he was buried in Crete. And um, the whole idea of lying and immorality was brought to its great height in Crete. So you'll find out later that even the own Cretan po- poets, they said, oh, all we Cretans are liars. We're unjust. We're, we're actually um, lazy stomachs. We just love to eat, 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 and lie. That's all we do. Um, Paul says, hey, God has promised eternal life, and he cannot lie. It is a sure thing. Why would we ever bring the gospel out to people unless it wasn't? right? Eternal life is an absolute assured thing. And if people's eternal life is based on our bringing the truth to them, why wouldn't we make this the best place we could, right? Why wouldn't we do our best in evangelism, our best in music, our best in teaching, our best in fellowships, our best in prayers? Why not come with our, the best attitude and fervency in prayer, in witnessing, in all these areas. Because God has promised eternal life. It is such a big deal. So it says there's hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised when? Before time began. God's plan was before there was a heaven and an earth. Before there was anything, God knew he would create us, that mankind would rebel against him, that he would send his Savior and eventually established churches all over the planet for his glory. It was part of his plan, and he has given us the promise of eternal life. And the problem is, a lot of us like to sit in church and just coast. We just, we just like to, as long as we have a church, it's nice to sit and coast. But there's way more on the line than just sitting, soaking, and souring. There's way more on line. It is people's eternal destiny hearing and believing the gospel, growing in their understanding of God's word, having it transform their behavior and their attitudes, and ultimately eternal life, the very best quality of of future. Well, verse 3, God now has in due time manifested his word through preaching. That's how God wants to get it done. He wants to get it done through the foolishness of preaching. I love it. Like when we have our any reunions, not that I go to any of my high school reunions, but some reunions I've gone to in uh, different times, and they'll be like, oh, Brian, what are you doing with your life? And I'll be like, oh, I'm a pastor. I preach the gospel. And right away, what's their attitude? 
oh, I'm so sorry. You must have failed out of every other subject in college. You must have not been able to get any type of job whatsoever. But wow, um, preaching, wow, that's pretty bad. Um, that's, the, that's the attitude. And, and I'll be like, well, don't apologize. You know, I, I, I'm preaching about eternal life. Every, every, even give, handing out gospel tracts and giving the gospel all week. It's been like the greatest thing, telling people, the answer to eternal life is right here. It is in a person called Jesus Christ, God who took upon himself flesh for you. Is there anything greater? No apology needed. God says, this message has been made known through the preaching of the word, and it was commanded by God our Savior. So why should we seek to improve the ministry? Because God's got a plan. It's hearing and believing the gospel growing in your understanding of the truth, having it change and affect all the parts of your life, resulting in eternal life, the greatest quality of life, and God has commanded us to do it. Like, just the very fact that he commanded us, shouldn't it be like, I will do my very best for the master? He, he wants me to mow the yard? Like, I love how you guys mow the yard. I mean, it's, it's great when you're driving around and you see that it's like, wow. That is the best for Christ that anybody could do mowing the yard. It, seriously, it, it is, it's delightful. It's, it's a huge statement to the whole community that we love our God and we want to represent him in the very best manner. Can you imagine taking everything to that level? It'd be pretty exciting. It would be great. And then Paul ends with this. To Titus, a true son in our common faith. Titus had the same faith in Christ that Paul did. Paul was just one link in the chain of many men and women since Adam and Eve who have trusted in God. And I want you to know, you and I, with faith in Christ, have the same faith of the Apostle Paul. The exact same faith. There is, listen, I know he's St. Paul, and we have a capital named after him in our state. We're all saints. I, I don't want to, I'm not lowering him because he was a phenomenal servant of God. But you have a faith that is the same as Paul's faith. It's just, you know what? What did Paul do with it? He did something about it. He wasn't satisfied just with the leather working. It was leather working plus the gospel. He wasn't content just with shipwrecks. It was shipwrecks plus the gospel. It wasn't just the Philippian prison. It was the Philippian prison plus, plus the gospel. It was everything was about Christ. Everything was about the gospel. That's the difference. We have the same faith. It's just, are we willing to get out and do it? That's the key. That's what Titus is going to stir us up to. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know how many times Savior is used in the New Testament? I would think a lot because Jesus is our Savior. We say it all the time. In the entire New Testament, Savior is used 12 times. That's it. 12 times. Do you know how many times out of the 12 it's found in Titus? Six. Half of the times the word Savior is used about our God, it's in this tiny little book. Do you think he's... You, I want you to figure out why would God emphasize Christ as our Savior so much in a tiny book like this? I'm beginning to get it. I want you to get it on your own. All right? For this reason, I left you in Crete. Not that it was such a bad place. The churches weren't so bad. It's just like my teeth... They just needed a little bit of improvement. And it's just a matter of, are you willing? So I'm going to ask you right now, are you willing to commit to this book 
not just learning it, but obeying it. And when it asks us to do the hard things, we'll say, we'll do the hard things. How can we improve our areas of ministry? And then no sitting back saying, bravo, good job, everybody. Or, oh, I can't believe they're doing it like that, or whatever. It's, we're all in it together. It's a we thing. It's a, we're all in it together, right? Does it give you hope? Because God said we can do it. Does it give you hope? I think so. Could this be an outstanding lighthouse for the gospel all around us? Yes or no? Absolutely. It can be. What does it matter? What does it depend on? Our response. That's what it depends on. All right. I'm excited. So tonight we're going to pick up this thought, and I'm going to talk about evangelism. I'm going to talk about getting out and not being afraid of rejection or, or what do we say or how do we begin. I'm going to give you just, I think, a lot of practical things and some scripture verses that we, we, that we can just say, you know what, this week I'm going to commit to sharing the gospel with people around me. If, they're stand, if I'm standing in line at Super One ready to check out my groceries, I'm going to find a way, I'm going to have something intentionally in my brain where I can say, I can get the gospel going, all right? What can I say to get the gospel going in our community? So we're going to start God's plan, and we're going to improve some evangelism things tonight. And then next week, we'll be into leadership. And then in the evening, we're going to talk about just applying these truths to leadership. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just an introduction to this book where you have laid out in like one of the longest introductions, I think, except for Romans in the New Testament, where Paul just laid out why we should want to improve. Why should we want our church to get better? We know why our li- we want our lives to get better. We, we, we already know why we want our marriages to get better. They'll just be more pleasant than fun. We know why we want to parent better because we'll have better relations with our, with our children. There'll be even, I don't know, all sorts of things can happen. But Father, when it comes to the church, why should we be so invested in building up the church? Because we know, Father, this is your plan. We're not here by accident. This is, the church is your plan. You designed it. You built it. You're building it. We just want to be used. And then, Father, you made a promise of eternal life. That is a quality of life. It's not a place of torment and a reminder of sins. It's sins paid in full, relationship with our Savior forever. For that very matter, Father, help us this week to improve our service to the community, that we would be diligent to give the gospel, teach truth, and make decisions that will be godly, that will reflect that we know our Savior. So we are excited about what you're going to do. And pray that you would bless our time in the word and in obedience to you. We love you so much. You are a great God. You are worthy of our whole lives. There's nothing that we have that is going to last except you. So I thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.